Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. That is some real island sounding music, isn't it? Like it's a, it's a getaway. Like who wants to be at work listening to music like that? You can't work listening to that kind of stuff. Anyway, you are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM and we're streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and welcome to another wonderful evening and edition of Radio Islam. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. What is tonight? Tonight, Wednesday? Tonight is Wednesday. All right. What's up Wednesday? That is, it's a great day to, to be here. It's a great day to be anywhere. So all of my Radio Islam family, I assume that all of you have already done this. So this is just for the, for the new listeners who are just joining us today. Radio Islam is a live, a daily talk show. And we broadcast from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central every day from the beautiful city of Chicago, Illinois. And if you are on social media, take a moment, whether it be Instagram, Twitter or Facebook, take a moment and like our pages. Follow us. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you are on Facebook, that is a great place to be to listen and to communicate with us throughout the broadcast because you can post any comments or questions that you might have, and we will be sure to address them uh, address them throughout the course of the discussion. So that's a great thing. And also, for you newbies, um, you can also get more information. You can see things like guest bios, uh, articles, and pictures, and, and lots of other interesting things at RadioIslam.com. That's www.radioislam.com. And you will notice something. If you go in there today and you come back a month from now, or you, or maybe even sooner than that, you're going to notice that there's a lot more content that uh, that's going to be there in a couple of weeks that's not there today. So all of that to say we are updating constantly, but the site is still up for you, uh, for your perusal, and for your benefit. So we welcome you to it. If you'd like to make a phone call, and not just any phone call, but a call to us here at Radio Islam. You can reach us at 312-750-1178. Did I say that too fast? 312-750-1178. Then we'd be happy to take your call and talk with you. We're always happy to uh, talk with the Radio Islam family and see what's on your mind, see how you plug into or how we might see things differently. So that's always a, always a great thing. And what's the last thing that I want to mention to you before we get into tonight's episode? Oh, yes, SoundCloud. As I said, this is for the newbies. This is not for the, for the loyal uh, Radio Slime family, for those of you who tune in every night. But for your new folks, welcome. Glad to have you. Hope, hope that we see you tomorrow. Um, you can get our daily broadcast the following day. On SoundCloud. If you go to SoundCloud, Radio Islam, that's our uh, username there. And our episodes are generally up around noon or noon ish. Uh, so we welcome you uh, to check out our podcast there, as well as iTunes or Google Play. Uh, so you can stay in contact with us. Even if you miss the, the live broadcast, you can always follow up with us, uh, f- follow up with us there. So that is that. So there has been, um, there's a lot going on because I said this is What's Up Wednesday. So, so we'll first we're going to start off. Uh, and on September 25th, just to remind folks, especially those who are in the Chicagoland area, uh, we lost a giant. We lost a pioneer uh, in Professor uh, Sharif Bassiouni. Uh, he's, referred to as, he's referred to as the father of international criminal law. He was a founding member of the International Human Rights Law Institute at DePaul University, uh, which was established back in 1990. Uh, that was the same year I graduated high school. Wow. Um, and there is a, a wonderful event that is taking place this weekend uh, at American Islamic College, and we are privi- privileged to have on the phone with us to talk about that uh, Dr. Amina McLeod, who is a 
um, who is a uh, world-renowned Islamic, uh, Islamic scholar, as well as a professor at DePaul University. Uh, she, is definitely, she is definitely someone that, if you don't know, that you should know. So um, we are thankful that she's taken a few minutes to talk with us on the line. Are you there? Assalamu alaikum. Dr. McLeod, did we lose her? Okay. You know, folks, that, that happens. That happens. Uh, and hopefully we're going to try to get her back uh, on the phone because the event that is taking place this weekend, uh, it is, first of all, it's a free event. And who does not like the sound of free 99? That's a great price. This is the least that we could do to make sure that we recognize, we recognize his efforts and also talk a bit about how his, um, how his activism has impacted, uh, how, is, how it has impacted the uh, current group of activists. So that's, uh, that's extremely important. I think we've got her back on the line. Do we have Dr. McLeod? Yes, alaikum. Oh, alaikum, Thank you. Uh, I was just, just telling the Radio Islam family, uh, technical, di- uh, technical difficulties, that's just a, a part of the job. It is. Yes. We need per- carrier pigeons. Right. <laughs> Smoke signals. <laughs> so, yes, I was just telling the uh, Radio Islam family that this weekend there is uh, an event that's taking place at American Islamic College to honor uh, prof- uh, Professor uh, Sharif Bassioni. Yes. Uh, one thing you left out of his biography that is very important. Mm-hmm. In 1999, he was no- nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize mm-hmm. for his work in the field of international criminal justice and for his contributions to the creation of the International Criminal Court. Wow. I don't know if you knew that. Actually, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, but let me say uh, a couple of things about uh, Sunday. Mm-hmm. We are actually honoring his work. This is not a testimonial. Right. And his work and the furtherance of human rights criminal law, but bringing to folks' attention the issue in human rights. One of the things a small group of us got together uh, and thought about and tried to push was the fact that many of the things that are happening are cast as civil rights issues, bans on Muslims, uh, the thing, hate crimes, and all of these things, uh, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. All of these things are cast as civil rights issues. When you're a civil rights issues, you have to meet a, a legal standard. And it means that also a cap is put on how much of the global population hears what's going on. Exactly. Those who are not online you know, are those who may skip something that they see in a tweet or Facebook. But when it gets lifted to the level of human rights, the killing of black male citizens, uh, black female citizens in any city in the United States, that becomes a human rights issue. When there's a genocide in Myanmar, that's a human rights issue. And the thing that I think many are missing is that we have corners of people working on these issues. Their focus is on that one issue. And what we're trying to do with this event is bring people together uh, across universities, out of their activist bubbles and bring them together in a discussion of what is driving this this uh, it's like a tsunami of human rights issues and how can we come together to not only discuss them but to discuss strategies perhaps for moving the activist work along with the scholars work together to see what we can do to make a difference. 
Yes. And would you would you also say in, in light of your comments about the distinction between uh, civil rights and human rights, that this is uh, and I may be restating what you said, but this is an opportunity for people to graduate their thinking and how they approach uh, how they approach um, uh, whatever issue they find themselves uh, championing to see it as a part of a human rights uh, in, a, in a human rights framework. Well, it's all yeah, absolutely, and it's it's always a thing. Uh, scholars do research and field work. Mm-hmm. They're able to get into places that activist organizations can't get into. Right. Okay, or advocate advocacy organizations, with the exception of physicians and the, the healthcare teams. Mm-hmm. But researchers, generally speaking, are able to go anywhere. Because there's an understanding globally, almost, Mm -hmm. that the researcher is there to gather information and you get to paint the picture you want to paint. When the researcher actually there is is there to gather the facts of the situation. Mm -hmm. If they team up with the activists and not only give the activists the benefits of their research, but of their broader knowledge of perhaps the history of a region or, you know, all of the cultural things that they need to know, we kind of equip the activists to be more efficient. One of the things that happens is the activist goes in with many of them, not all, Mm -hmm. with emotion. We can try to get rid of the emotion, although our heartstrings are tugging over whatever it is that we're going to research. But we know to get that grant, to get the publication, the emotion can't be primary. Mm. But we also have the opportunity to let activists share in the granting process, because many of the smaller groups they're not as successful as they could be because they don't have funding. Right. Do you think also that the the model of uh, Professor Bassioni is one that challenges the way we see activism because he operated as a uh, as a scholar but also as an activist? Yes, absolutely. Because the scholars, we have, you know, several tiers. But a lot of people don't do the field work. Mm-hmm. They stay in their offices, their research is done in library archives, for instance, uh, on the Internet nowadays, uh, and through their thoughts and perhaps their consultation with their colleagues. Then you have the others, like Sharif Basayuni, who stayed in his office, did his research, and hit the ground running. Right. Uh, Brooked many of those who were against him, and establishing the Human Rights Institute at DePaul was a feat, you know, because law schools are very staid, traditional places. Right. Uh, And in doing that, um, opened the doors for many things. Um, I worked with him just a little bit when there was an opportunity to, quote-unquote, train Iraqi judges as if they needed training. They just needed some freedom to to move and some access to information. But every opportunity as it presented itself, Sharif took to be active. He was all over the U.N., pushing causes, trying to lift the the narrative, the, the conversations around an issue forcing people to listen and lecturing all over Chicago. And in Chicago, there were very few, until he got ill, uh, organizational fundraisers that he missed. He wasn't invited to speak very often, but people always acknowledged his presence. I mean, nobody wants to listen to a law lecture, I guess, (laughs) at a fundraiser. But... um, People acknowledged his presence on a continuing basis, and he supported all of the communities in Chicago. And so I think with that, what is one of the more important things that we can do is to push that legacy. 
Okay. Uh, Radio Islam family, uh, and for you newbies who are just tuning in for the first time, uh, we are talking with Dr. Amina McLeod about the event taking place this Sunday at American Islamic College, um, looking at the work of Professor Sharif Bassioni. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do so at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. So, uh, Dr. McLeod, let me ask this other question. Uh, do you see a change or, or do you see an opportunity for for today's activists to begin to maybe replace some of that emotion uh, that gets in the way? Well, not gets in the way, but to replace some of the emotion or add maybe empirical data with that. Well, they have to. If you don't know about issues, mm-hmm. you... Um, and, and you're an activist on that issue. Yeah. All issues sit in a context. You know, there's there's always a history. You know, if you want to talk about Myanmar, then you got to talk about how those people got there and where they came from. Right. And why the people there and they didn't have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say anything about your uh, angst, anger, or trepidation over genocide. The genocide is still the genocide, but you have to constantly be educated. How do I get the people in Black Lives Matter to understand that Myanmar lives matter or that slaves and Mauritania need to be free? Well, i got to give them some historical context. This is how it is, because if you're going into places, the activists, you have to have something and that's where the other half of your group or your consultants come in who give you that background because you don't want to spend years reading either. Mm-hmm. So this really is an opportunity for for activists and for scholars to be in the same space. Exactly, to meet each other because they rarely know each other except if they're personal friends. And that is why on Sunday we have arranged this event to be a participatory event. We have the head of the Human Rights Institute at Northwestern University Mm -hmm. paired with a woman who writes on Arab uh, affairs, and especially women, who Sharif Basiuni mentored, and a man from... Uh, Northwestern was a very good friend of Sharif because they're both running human rights institutes. Uh, This man is a former ambassador. Uh, And we have uh, a young professor, Dr. King, coming in from uh, Atlanta. And his work is in Africa, but also in African-American stuff because we're trying to demonstrate that the tiers of stuff are all human rights issues. But we've set up the event such that people are not just getting lectured to. You have very quick presentations from the presenters, those three people. Mm -hmm. And then you're at tables with people representing various organizations. And we're giving you questions which we want you to discuss after you introduce yourself and begin the process of getting to know one another. Then you interact again with the presenters' questions. You bring it back to the full body, the questions from your table. So it is... um, structure the way we want to have the collaborations or we're hoping that the collaborations take off. Okay. You know, as, as I listen to you explain uh, the makeup, I can't help but think that without jumping the gun, so to speak, that this model is something that may possibly present itself as a, uh, uh, may, may take on a, a life of its own. Oh, well, that'll be great. You know, uh, I don't know if, yeah, because I think that that connection is, is, is so needed. Well, I think the connections, and if hopefully the word has gotten out, I heard you announce it earlier mm-hmm. on Radio Islam, that it takes off on many different levels. Right after our event, 
Radio Islam is having his fundraiser, and all of us intend to be there. (laughs) And hopefully we will take our discussing spirit right along with us and have not tables of families, but those families dispersed amongst other families Mm. so that you can have more discussions. You know, unfortunately, in many religious communities, there are the seasons of everybody wants you to give them something. Right. Um, and some of those organizations give back. Others, just everybody wants us to give them something. But despite that, in the social atmosphere of these wonderful times for the community members to come together, we leave, we haven't met one new person. We haven't talked about anything because we're sitting with people we know. Right. Right. And these are these are prime networking opportunities. So Mm -hmm. Radio Islam family, for those of you who intend to be um, hopefully you can make both events. Um, But the idea here, what uh, Dr. McLeod is 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 clearly referencing, is that we cannot continue to be so insular. Uh, we can't. Segmented. I just gave a lecture on that earlier today. Mm-hmm. We we cannot continue that. It's to our peril. Mm-hmm. People are trying to deport us, kill us, enslave us, and commit genocide. Yeah. All over this globe, and we have to do things differently. Radio Islam. I remember the first program in Radio Islam that I opened with Malik Mujahid, Mm -hmm. and he and I were clowning behind the mic, you know? (laughs) And I'm saying, this is the best thing since pizza. Right. Right? (laughs) And we were just upset that, I mean, we thought the the phone was going to be jumping off the hook, and it doesn't matter that there is a limited, you know, broadcasting area. People, they live on the door in cell phones. Mm-hmm. They have computers if the cell phone ran out of juice. Right. You know, you have few venues which you can really use to network. One is the event we have earlier in the day, and the second one are our times together at fundraisers or other kinds of social events. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully we're all listening and taking heed to that and can move on that. I thank you so much for for your time and for your words, Dr. McLeod. Um, Before we let you go, let's just go ahead and revisit the specifics for Sunday. So Uh, what time? We're starting at their food will be provided. Okay. In a different form that people have seen it before. But no, that's not true. It's in a, a communal form because we want people to stay at those tables talking to each other. Right. We'll start at 2 o'clock, and we will end at 5. Okay, great, great. Promptly, because we've got to get to Radio Islam. Well, I'll be there at 2, and I will be out at about. I'm going to have to we don't leave to, a little We early. don't need to hear about your personal problems. <laughs> okay? Thank you so much. Hey. Take care. <laughs> All right. Salaam alaikum. Wa <laughs> All right, Radio Salaam family. Uh, I actually almost just walked away from the microphone like I was just getting, I just got that, that relaxed. So um, you are listening to Radio Salaam at WCEV 1450 AM. And we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment. On November 12th, Radio Islam will be hosting a benefit dinner held at Ashton Place in Willowbrook, Illinois. Our keynote speaker is Professor John Esposito, a long-standing ally of the Muslim community. We'll also feature an exhibit by the late Jack Shaheen. Tickets are on sale now at eventbrite.com. Radio Islam is the first live daily radio show by Muslims. People are always talking about Muslims. It's time we talk back. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, 
I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Sound Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741-741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who is there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S-A-L-A-M, to 741-741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com. Welcome back. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. And I'm your host, Tariq el uh, Let's see, where are we at? It is, it's Wednesday. It's still What's Up Wednesday. And you know what is really odd? Uh, what's really strange is that the way our technology works, uh, there's a technology dependence, and I'm sure that those of you who, some are better than others, um, but for myself, uh, you know, I find myself, when I put my phone down, I find myself, you know, looking at it as if something has happened because it's not in my hand or it's not in my pocket. Or if I leave the room, I've got to come back to it. As a matter of fact, my phone almost is almost never away from me. And that's a really, uh, this is actually the first time I've said that out loud. Uh, and it sounds really horrible to me to even say that out loud. I mean, that sounds like a problem. So I might have to, I'm, I'm going to have to do some things uh, offline uh, after the show just to, to, to do a re- reassessment of myself. But uh, anyway, what I'm, getting, what I'm getting to is I'm just thinking about the impact of technology, uh, not just on us as adults, but on our children, right? Because our children, they are interacting with technology in a way that for those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, you know, that we would have never, and of course before, would have never thought possible, right? Would have never thought that there would be such a, a dependence. You know, I mean, we, you know, when I was growing up, it, it was, you might have thought about running home to play Atari or ColecoVision, but it wasn't to the point where that was all you thought about, you know, all day. You didn't have it with you all day. It was just when you got home and maybe if there was nothing going on outside. But we're at such a point now where there's such a, a dependence in a, a, a relationship that we've developed with our technology that it is almost, that it is scary. But there's something behind that. So I was looking at an article on, um, uh, it, it's called the Sneaky Science Behind Your Kids' Obsessions, Right. But before, before I, I, I get into that and share that, I wanted to share just a quick audio clip from, from a, a gentleman named Ben. What is my fellow? What is this guy's name? His name is um, it's Ben Harvard? Halpert. Ben Halpert. So he is actually, he is an award-winning author of several books for wildly divergent audiences, uh, The Savvy Cyber Kids at Home, The Family Gets a Computer, uh, which is a picture book which teaches the concepts of online safety and privacy to preschool-age children. I mean, who would have thought that we would have to, to teach um, online safety and security 
to preschool age children. Uh, but that's the reality that we're in. He's also the author of the Savvy Kids, um, Cy the Savvy Cyber Kids at Home, uh, the Defeat of the Cyber Bully, uh, which teaches children how to appropriately respond to a cyber bully before they start playing in the virtual world. Also, things that for those of us who grew up before this new technology revolution uh, would have ever thought that we would, we would have had to entertain. And for those in the business field, Ben has published Auditing Cloud Computing, a Security and Privacy Guide. And seeing a void in the conversation about online safety for children before they begin K-12, through Ben created a nonprofit to represent those who cannot speak for themselves. And we, you know, our children, infants, toddlers, and preschool children. Savvy Cyber Kids, Inc. was founded in 2007 and is now working with the National Cybersecurity Alliance and other organizations towards filling the gap. So what, what we're about to listen to is just a few minutes of a TEDx talk that he did. We're going to play just the first four minutes. If you'd like to see it in, in its entirety, uh, go to YouTube and just look up his name, Ben Halpert. And uh, in the, the full video is probably only about 12 or 13 minutes long. But let's take a listen, and then we'll have a little conversation after that. Right now, a child is being born online and being favorited and retweeted, all with the appropriate hashtags. So it's no wonder that 92% of two-year-olds in the United States of America have an online record, because parents have been socializing their children since conception. Right now, an infant is getting their first laptop that's soft and squishy and makes noise, and they're snuggling with it. Right now, an infant is getting their first iPhone and learning to tap and swipe all while drooling on it. 92% of two-year-olds play video games because that is what parents are putting in front of their precious children to keep them entertained and quiet. Right now, an 18-month-old is learning to walk while also learning to text and drive. <laughs> right now, a toddler is getting their first laptop designed just for them not soft and squishy anymore, made of plastic, real keys, feedback, makes noise. They love it for about a week, and then they get bored. Right now, a child is getting a tablet designed just for them, and they love it for about two weeks, and then they get bored. Because what they really want is what mom and dad have and what mom and dad are always on. Right now, a toddler is being potty trained on a specially designed potty to hold their electronic device. <laughs> right now, a toddler is learning where to put their device down so that they can wipe while they're learning to go to the bathroom. Right now, a child is taking a nap or going to sleep with the comfort of their technology. One-third of pre-K-age children in the United States own a full-featured tablet. Not a toy, but a full-featured tablet. In the United States, you can buy a full-featured Android tablet for $50 or less. Right now, a toddler is finishing up their favorite TV show. And at the end of the TV show, they're being asked to join, more fun, continue the excitement online with their favorite characters. Right now, a toddler is playing a game online with their favorite characters and being encouraged to play more and more and more. Right now, a toddler is being coaxed online by a toy that they received with their meal. Right now, a toddler is exploring virtual worlds with a toy that they received for their birthday because playing with it in your hands and using your own imagination is no longer enough to engage with toys. Right now, a child is creating in a virtual world with friends they've met online. Four out of five kids surveyed can't actually tell the difference between an adult pretending to be a child and an actual child, and these are their friends. 
Right now, a child is on a play date, but not actually playing or engaging with their friends. Children who are spending more and more time on technology are being shown to fall behind on their motor milestones. Right now, a family is out to dinner at a restaurant. I took this picture. Sorry, family. <laughs> Not enjoying each other's company, but each staring into the screen of their choice, completely ignoring the family members. And this is mom, dad, and the children all doing the same thing while they continue to eat. They did it the entire meal. Right now, a child is being exposed to their first hardcore pornographic video because one of their friends told them to type four letters in the search bar. The average age of first pornographic exposure online for a child is 11 years old, and that number continues to decline. Right now, a child is becoming addicted to porn through no fault of their own, but how their brain is designed. Porn sites get more visitors than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, that was some, you know, it started out sort of lighthearted and got progressively uh, darker and darker. Uh, but that is a reality. And there were a few things that caught my, uh, that caught my attention that really resonated with me uh, personally. Uh, first thing, I mean, this is not in any particular order. The first thing was the family dinner. My wife, uh, you know, she's made it, she's made it a, a practice for us to sit down with our daughters at the end of the, end of the day. And we both have fairly long days. So when we get in, you know, if we're getting in, it's, 8 o'clock or 8.30 or, you know, whatever time it is. And we sit down, we have uh, dinner as a family. And one of the things that we've had to accustom ourselves to doing is putting our phones away. Or when we go out for, for lunch or we're going out for breakfast as a family, uh, nobody is allowed, or I should say nobody's supposed to. And I'm probably guilty of this more so, maybe more so than even my daughters. Um that whole thing of picking up the phone to look to see what's going on, to see what's happening in the virtual world, on Twitter, on Facebook, on CNN, on, you know, uh, on, on, on ESPN, you know, whatever it is, checking text and ignoring the people that are around us. And this is a, and this is not anything that is uh, specific to a particular uh, group of people. This is something that, as a society, as we have become more and more dependent on technology, and it has become more and more a part of our everyday lives, um, we have found, unfortunately, we found our fulfillment and our engagement in these little black boxes that we carry around and on our hips or in our pockets to the exclusion of the people that, that, that Allah has blessed us with that are around us, you know, our families. So that's, that's the first thing. So to not just, not just to point out uh, a concern and not give us a, a reminder or, or something to do that'll help us to, to turn away from that. When we're out, it's a good idea. Make it, make it a habit of putting the phones away. Not even bringing a phone in. You know, if we're sitting down for dinner, not even to bring the phone to the, uh, to the table. Okay, so enough of that. Uh, the, the, one of the other things I noticed when he spoke about, you know, he said right now a child is learning how to text and drive. Right. Um, I mean, it, it sounded a little funny, but then I, thought about this how many times do you see people driving and uh, you know you don't have to raise your hand but how many times have you seen a person driving and they're texting and they're they have children in the car with them 
or a young person, not necessarily a child, but maybe a teen sitting right next to them as they are texting. Of course, they're going to model the behavior. It's never it's never uh, do as I say and not as I do. It's always going to be that our children will do what we do. And if we say if what we say matches up with what we do, then then that's fine. But they will always go for what we do as opposed to what we say. And I could not help but think about my own nephew. Uh, he is a brilliant, a brilliant young man. And oddly enough, I remember for probably like he had to be like three, maybe four years old, five years old. I just don't remember him talking a whole lot. I mean, almost almost like never. I mean, to the point where I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's something going on. But he could program. uh, He could program the remote, the cable remote. He was recording television shows and it might have been he might have he might have only been like three years old, three or four years old. He was logging into his sister's iPad. He was changing her password. I mean, he he was changing the Wi-Fi passwords. I mean, he was he was like ahead. I was like, this is a little genius, but he wasn't he just was not a talker. So I used to think, well, maybe, you know, is, is maybe is there something going on? Now, I mean, of course, now I know there isn't. But these things, these things, they come second nature. They seem to come second nature to our uh, to our children now. Where, you know, they're coding at seven and eight years old. You know, they're learning how to code. They're 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 inventing uh, words and I'm uh, not words, but worlds. You know, they're, they're making apps. They're, they're doing things at their age that, at my age, it's, it's, not, even, it's not even thing, you know, it was never even a thought. Right, so technology has changed the way, they're, they're, the way their brains operate. If we look at, um, like, Instagram. Instagram is, is popular, right, extremely, uh, extremely popular, but... The videos on Instagram, you're talking about a video that's like less, maybe 30 seconds. And young people, that is that is uh, specifically designed for a short attention span. Right. The technology has changed because there's so much information that comes so quickly that changes so fast that they are not they're not interested. I mean, my own daughters, they uh you know, we say, let's go out to a movie. Eh, I don't do movies. Okay, so here's two things. Number one, uh, when I was their age, if my parents said, let's go to a movie, I didn't care what it was. I was just happy to go to a movie. You know, it didn't matter. I didn't ask, what are we going to go see? All right, let's go. These people, they ask, <laughs> what's the movie? Uh, and then they sit and contemplate. Eh, no, I don't think I want to go see it. But that that probably goes into into another dis, uh, discussion of uh, children who uh, there's a certain amount of, of privilege that uh, a lot of our children have uh, today that was just absent. Like I said, I would have never asked, you know, what are we going to see? You know, that didn't make any sense. Uh, and the last thing, what Ben mentioned uh, in the video, when he talked about when he talked about pornography. And the uh, the number of our children who are being exposed to it, and I think he said the average age was 11, and it's decreasing. That age is going, you know, it's it's going down. That means that they're being exposed to it earlier and earlier. I remember going to a workshop. It was on youth development. This was, you know, some some years back, and one of the things they mentioned it, it was about substance abuse, and it said that uh, essentially that. If a a teen was exposed to alcohol or whatever whatever substance, but I think it was alcohol. It was alcohol in this instance. They said at the age of like between twelve and and fourteen or twelve and eleven to thirteen or something something like that. Right, those early like uh, pubescent uh, uh, those 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 years. Right. They said that their likelihood for becoming uh, an addict 
the the likelihood was so high. I mean, it was just astronomically high. And they said it was due it was due to the fact that the way our brains uh, are develop, the way our de- uh, brains develop, that that is a critical that is a critical stage in development, and the stimuli that are present during that time, um, they they form they make an impression. Basically, they they groove a. Yeah, they make a, they make an impression in that in that individual's mind uh, because they've you know the chemical reactions you know it, it hits the pleasure center of the brain. That's what it does. It it affects the pleasure center of the, of the brain where the brain begins to crave that same reaction, that same outcome, that same stimuli, and unfortunately, the fact of addiction for any for anybody out there who has who has dealt with folks who are dealing with substance abuse or um, or knows someone or or they themselves if you have gone through uh, where you have had to deal and overcome substance abuse then you know that the initial high that you get you will be chasing that high for the rest of your life you never achieve that same high and that is why that is why in terms of substance abuse, you have people who, you know, they start with, uh, they may start with one, one drug um, at, one, at a particular dosage and it continues to go higher and higher. And eventually, you know, you're looking at uh, an overdose. And this same idea can be translated or transferred uh, into the, the realm of pornography. When our young people, you know, it affects the, the pleasure centers uh, in the brain. And it does so in a manner that when that young person is engaged uh, in that, if there is no intervention, if there's no uh, redirection, then that is, that is a, a situation where the appetite, it, it increases, the stimuli, uh, it becomes more and more uh, obscene. And it's not something that probably not something that we talk about enough, in particular in the Muslim community. I know it's not something, I, I think we may, we may lag behind a little bit in terms of how other faith communities are addressing this, uh, but it is a very real issue. As a matter of fact, um, it was reported that, uh, I read a report that said that some of the highest usage, highest usages or, or uh, visitations of pornography sites were in Muslim, uh, I guess, uh, majority Muslim population countries. Highest usages, highest visitations of those sites. Now, what we didn't really get to uh, get into was there was also an article. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, no, actually I already did. I shared the article on Radio Islam's, our Facebook page. And what the article is about is uh, Common Sense Media. Uh, it's the sneaky science behind your kids' tech obsessions. And I'm going to just share, I'm going to share really quickly uh, one of the, one of the, the things on here. Uh, it, it's, it was talking about, it says, what do the big tech companies say to the criticism that they're designing addictive products? Right, we're not talking about the, the content but they are designing addictive products. It says that they typically give the business argument that they're creating products people love to use and are constantly trying to improve people's experience. Uh, Facebook says it polls users daily to gauge success, but soon it may be hard for the tech giants to say that they're blameless. More and more industry insiders, including some who designed these attention-claiming features, are coming forward to cry foul on digital manip- manipulation and even to suggest ways companies can limit it. In fact, it's not just people who are going public. In 2017, a leaked Facebook internal memo showed how the social network can identify when teens feel insecure. Right? When teens feel insecure. So, um, that is that is a um, that is a level of observation that many of us are not really paying attention to. And they're using that information 
for the purposes of they're, they're using push notifications. So uh, they're little pings and prods you get to check your apps. Uh, these are habit-forming. Like if anybody who's uh, heard about Pavlov's uh, dogs, right, that's the one where the experiment where every time he rang a bell uh, and the dogs came, he would give them uh, meat. And he would, you know, so when they rang the bell, they would run to him. And every time he gave them the same, same reward, same reward, same reward. And eventually it got to the point where he could just ring the bell and they would come to him even without the reward. They would still come. So there is something too. Uh, there is something, uh, there's an awareness of the nature of the psyche, how we respond to stimuli, how we respond to reward. And one of the things that we can do, as a matter of fact, uh, it's listed in the article uh, that was shared. It says turn off the notifications. Make sure that you don't have those notifications on. And that way, and, and that doesn't mean just a, uh, the, uh, a ping or a ding, but it also means the, um, the uh, vibrate. You don't want your phone vibrating. So, you know, somebody retweeted you or you got a, a new message or whatever. You know, the point is you want to have control over how you engage, and we want our children to have control over how they engage technology. So, and that means that we've got to filter. We've got to filter what uh, programs, what apps uh, they're using, uh, looking at browser history. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of different, pro- um, there are a lot of different products for parents that are out there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you all some homework, Radio Islam family. I want to ask for your help here. Let's help one another. If you have a particular product that you're using, uh, if you've got young children, post that on our Facebook page. Right? Post it on our Facebook page. Let us know what you're using to keep uh, a lid and keep, uh, keep aware of how your children are engaging with, um, with technology. Um, there's a lot more, but we don't really have time to, to get into it. This hour just, it always flies by so quickly. So, Radio Islam family, um, once again, we're looking forward to seeing everybody Sunday at the Radio Islam uh, dinner in Ashton Place, Willowbrook. Uh, a lot of great things going on. And we'll talk about some more of those things uh, tomorrow and Friday. Uh, make sure that you like our page, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh and we'll just get into, let's see, who, who made tonight's show possible? Who is our engineer over at um, Ramon? All right, thank you so much. Our engineer at WCEV was Ramon tonight. Our engineer in studio, the impressive Ibrahim Beg. I'm your producer and host, Tariq el Executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. The views expressed of the host are his and not to be uh, taken as the views of Sound Vision Incorporated. So we look forward to hanging out with you guys again tomorrow. Uh, may God be with you all. May Allah protect you and your families. I'm going to leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.